follows after doing that in the whole recovery process <clears throat> is what I call the incubation period. When the new you is coming into existence, is being brought into existence, you don't bring the new you into existence. <laughs> That's a total impossibility. You don't bring you into existence. But somebody does. Somebody does. And we have to be exposed and ready to the author of all life, real life, doing his thing to us. The incubation period. It's a growth process. A development process. And like every growth process, it's slow, it's gradual, and it's indiscernible. You don't see it going on. You can look at a blade of grass and you're black in the face. You won't see it growing, but it is. This is the time following the taking of steps four and five. When all kinds of weird and wonderful things begin to happen. And you don't notice them happen. You're not aware of it. It's the time when people come along to you and say, Oh, you've changed. Oh, have I hadn't noticed? It's the time when all kinds of obsessions that used to bug us and drive us up the walls simply die away. They're not there anymore. And you wonder how the heck it happened. You've lost interest in whatever it was you couldn't live without just simply lost interest in it. This is a time when all kinds of insoluble problems mysteriously become solved. You didn't solve them, but they're just not there anymore. This is real. This is fact. Ask any of the real old-timers, the real winners, they'll tell you this is, this is what happened. After taking steps four and five for real. The incubation period. Of course, it presupposes that you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. Going to meetings and listening, really listening. And not allowing the awarenesses that are coming to you to skim across the surface of your mind, leaving not a ripple. Really letting what you're becoming aware of seep right away down, right into the gut. It presupposes you're sharing, really sharing, what's in those guts. The idiocy, the nonsense, that's still there. Really sharing it 
and risk getting laughed at, you won't be laughed at. We've been there, done that. Okay. Really honestly sharing the real, real you. What you disagree with and what you're hearing. What you regard in your heart of hearts is a heap of nonsense. Really sharing. And really hearing. Keep coming back. This is a time when our participation at meetings, listening, sharing, is real, honest, candid. It presupposes you're reading the big book on a regular basis. That presupposes you're doing business with your sponsor on a regular basis. And it presupposes, above all, that you're having your quiet time in the way it's being spelt out to us in our program. This is being entirely ready for this fantastic thing to happen. That your insoluble problem your total obsession you can't get rid of disappears. Totally mysteriously and unaccountably. I can vouch for that myself in my own little old tin pot way of fulfilling this program. After I'd taken my fourth and fifth step, which was three years after I'd been fooling around with this program. I was doing what I was supposed to do, going to meetings, sharing when I was called on, reading the big book, doing business with my sponsor, having my quiet time. But I was not a happy man. I was not a happy man. I was sober, physically sober, and now for the first time finding out what it's like to be unhappy sober. And it ain't nice. When I'd go to meetings, when I'd be asked to share, it was always the same old business. Same old business. It was always that bastard of a boss of mine. I would let you know exactly what manner of character he was. I had his inventory down pat to the last detail. <laughs> and it had reached the stage when the times I was asked to share got less and less and then whenever they would ask me the same old business again and everybody in the room would just groan oh God not again until eventually I came out of the meeting one night in the parking lot and my sponsor was there waiting for me. His name was Jim from Santee. He was a little guy. He used to stand in front of me with his hands behind his back. He had gold-rimmed, thick-lens glasses that used to come halfway down his nose and he'd look up at me with the little piggy eyes. <laughs> God, that's when I knew how to drive me up the wall. <laughs> and 
And this night he said to me, you know, Winston, he said, a couple of us are getting to be really bothered about you. You're a very sick man. <laughs> really, this thing is getting serious. Always this bastard of a boss of yours. But we never really hear. We never really hear in concrete fact what's going on. What is it with you two? Two grown men. And it's just, it's just total warfare. And the two of you are, of all things, Catholic priests supposed to be Christians. Leaders of the Christian people, for God's sake. What the hell is going on in that house? Oh, Jim, I said, leave it alone now, leave it alone. <laughs> We're wandering onto very dangerous, heavily mined territory. Back off. Look, he said, I'm being serious, you know. He said, I really am. You're not a well man. Certainly not a physically well man. I've had heart surgery. I had back surgery. I had all kinds of unmentionable surgeries, too. And we're beginning to wonder if you're more than physically sick. I'd like to know What's going on, you know? Because maybe you need more help than we can give you. It's okay. It's okay now, Jim. I said uh, it'll 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 come all right, maybe somehow. But uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing I can do about it. Nothing. Nothing. Well, at least you can tell us. You know, you can tell me. And if we can do nothing about it, that's fine. That's what sponsors are for. Look, Tim, I want to say something, and I know you'll laugh, and that's fine. If I try to tell you exactly what's going on, you wouldn't understand. Oh. Oh, it's that kind of thing. You know, he said, uh, I've heard of terminal uniqueness. I never had as bad a case of it as this. You're so different, aren't you? You wear that collar back to front, and that makes you so different from the rest of us slobs, huh? As a matter of fact, Jim, it does. <laughs> And this is an honest program. Then <laughs> you'd better settle for reality, I said. I am different, whether it pleases you or not. I live in a totally different world from the world you live in. You're of no religion, and that's fine by me, and that's why I want you for my sponsor. Precisely because you haven't. But I have. And I'd have no worries or troubles whatsoever if I didn't believe in that whole bag of tricks from top to bottom. And why I do and how I do, 
I could not possibly share with you. You would not understand. And you would suspect me of trying to make a Roman Catholic out of you if I tried to make you understand. So now I said, leave me alone. We all have our limitations. And you know yours, and I know mine, and we'll get on fine. <laughs> That's what he did. He laughed. <laughs> Good show, he said. Good show. <laughs> come off it now, he said. Come off it. Come off it. You're, oh, you're so special. Yeah, come on. Now, have a bit of sense. You really need to do this, he said. Because until you do, you're going to go bonkers completely. You're going to lose your marbles. And a lot of the guys are saying that. And we're not fools. We see, we recognize the beginnings of real insanity when we see it. Jim, I said, <clears throat> I've told you why I don't want to tell you. And I've no more to add. And that's the honest and sincere reason why I don't want to tell you I want to keep you as my sponsor. I want to create no suspicions in your mind about me trying to change you and make it Catholic out of you. But he said, look, <clears throat> if you tell me exactly what's going on between you two guys, <clears throat> and if I don't understand, I'll tell you I don't. And I'll give you 20 bucks. But if I do understand, you give me 20 bucks. No Irishman can resist an offer like that. <laughs> <clears throat> I said I could find good use for 20 bucks. And I'm sorry, but you're going to lose 20 bucks and I'm going to lose a sponsor. And if you're doing... But here it is. You asked for it. And here it is. <clears throat> I told him some of what I told you all here last night, yesterday evening, my last talk. How I left home as a kid, 15. Eventually went into a monastery in order to become a saint. I told you what happened when they sent me off to Rome to study, how I absorbed all the new learning and scholarship that was brewing in the back room with the, in the, the back room boys in the universities in Rome, and I was going to burst eventually and come to the surface, which it did, and I was full of all this new stuff, and I saw the the wonder of it, the goodness of it, the necessity of it, that these immense changes that would be called for as soon as these rediscoveries were appreciated just had to take place, or the Catholic Church is finished, and it will be wiped from off the planet forever. If it insists on in living in that medieval, goddamn, <clears throat> dust-laden world that it lives in, and has been living in, Try to be updated, modernized, made relevant to modern humankind in a whole new 
ethos of evolution. I said, uh, you know what happened to me? <clears throat> I got myself in trouble for being a smart aleck and being ahead of the game. Got fired. And I came out here having given up the whole idea of being a monk and had my vows as a monk dissolved and old. To start a whole new life as an ordinary priest taking care of, along with a pastor of ordinary people in a parish doing the ordinary humdrum chore. But by that time, a mighty blueprint for the reform of the whole church had been handed down from the very top from uh, the Pope and all the bishops that had been assembled at that council for the reform of the church. Now, I want to tell you, Jim, I said, if you want to understand the way things are between myself and my boss, <clears throat> I want to tell you something about my beliefs, my religious beliefs. I told you I believe in the whole damn bag of tricks from stem to stern. And that means that I believe that 2,000 years ago nearly, a fantastic thing happened on this planet which split all history in two forevermore. Life could never be the same after what happened. When Almighty God himself landed on this planet in person disguised and dressed up as a human being. That's who Jesus Christ was, as I perceive him, and billions and billions of other people besides him. He was the Almighty himself, come among us to make himself known to us in human terms, to make known to us things about ourselves that we could never find out for ourselves, and that only he could make known to us. What the blazes are we all about? What's this human adventure itself all about? Is it all about nothing in the last analysis? Are we just glorified apes who disintegrate and that's the end of it? Or are we more? Is there really a destiny waiting for us all? beyond the experience of human dying. And if there is, what in the name of God does it consist in? Is it something we can miss? Is it something we can uh, arrive at and achieve anyway, whatever we do or don't do? I want to know those things. And I think I'm perfectly normal in wanting to know those things. And I think that anyone who doesn't want to know is absolutely abnormal. As abnormal as some guy waking up finding himself on a train traveling at a hundred miles an hour. He doesn't know where the hell he is or where he's going or what it's all about. That's not normal. As I'm put together. And I believe that this figure towering over the whole of human history with everything now B.C. and A.D before him and after him. He came to tell us the answer to things we really, really 
If we're to make any sense out of the whole damn adventure, we're in. And it came to me that all know, not just to whoever happened to be knocking around when and where he himself was knocking around. Not at all. Came to make it known to us all, to me, living in 1996, to every human being to the crack of doom. What arrangements did he make to make it all known? He didn't make no arrangements at all. That would be awful odd if he didn't. And if he did, what? The R.C. answer to that question is different from everybody else. The Roman Catholic answer. He did an awful simple thing. He gathered a group of guys around him. Ordinary, ordinary human beings. He said, now, you stick around. You guys stay with me. And that's an awful simple thing happened. Those guys, 12 of them, did stay with him. Night and day. For a number of years, an awful simple thing happened. They got to know him. They got to know God. Personally. Intimately. They got to know the kind of guy he is. The way his mind works. They got to know everything that was in his mind that he wanted communicated to the whole human race. He put his truth where you'd expect God to put his truth. Into receptacles that he had made precisely for that purpose for receiving truth. Human living mind. He never wrote a line. He never wrote a line. Stuff that's written or printed on paper can't jump up and explain itself to you. What does it mean? What's the implications of it? What does he mean by what is reported of his having said? The dead printed page can't jump up and tell you. He put it into living human mind. Are people who could say to him, now what do you mean by that? And he could say, do you understand now the implications of that? And this whole, whole, perfectly human Divine process went on for a number of years. To this collectivity, this group of twelve, were aware of everything that he was aware of, that he wanted the whole human race to be aware of. Aware of its implications. Aware of its relevance. Aware of its applicability in this particular circumstances and that particular circumstance. So that he could stand aside for them when the years were finished. Say, now, go into the whole world. He didn't tell them to write a line. Preach. Make known audibly, spokenly, everything I have made known to you. I'll see to it that you won't get it all loused up and mixed up and distorted and half of it forgotten and all. I'll see to that. My spirit will remain with you, bringing back into your mind everything that I have ever told you. And the meaning of it. 
Whoever will be listening to you will be listening to me. Whoever will be deliberately turning a deaf ear to you will be turning a deaf ear to me. Those twelve co-opted other guys into their ranks in the course of time. And they put into the minds of those they co-opted everything that had been put into their minds originally by Christ himself. And the ones they co-opted co-opted others into their ranks and did the very same thing. And the ones they co-opted co-opted others and did the very same thing. And that process has been going on from generation to generation to generation to this very hour. There is a living stream of awareness, of understanding of what came out of the mind of the man who was God 2,000 years ago. A living, living stream of awareness of it, of understanding of it, of understanding of its implications right down to this very moment. And I believe, Jim, and this is entirely my business and not yours, and I don't want it ever to be yours, I believe that the successor of Peter who was martyred and buried in Rome and the man who succeeded to his role that Christ gave him specially, he called the Pope, at the head of the successors of those twelve, who have been there on an unbroken line of succession to this hour, inherit that awareness of that fullness of truth that God came to make known to me and to us all. It's precisely because I believe that that I'm in trouble. Big trouble. As I tell you, the successors of that twelve handed down a blueprint for the reform of the church in every level and at every, in every area. And to put it on the shoulders of guys in my job to have that blueprint implemented. I came out here X number of years ago as an ordinary priest, not a monk anymore, beginning life as an ordinary priest. I was appointed to a parish where there was a crabby old Irish pastor. Not a single thing that had been ordered by Vatican II had even been heard of or had even been attempted to be implemented in the parish I was appointed to. The pastor had heard of Vatican II, oh yes. It was on television, wasn't it? Ah, yes, I remember. <laughs> Jim, I said, I have taken a third step. And my survival in sobriety depends upon my fulfillment faithfully of that third step. That big book itself reminds me who my employer is. And my employer, in and through this mechanism he has set up in the world, has given me orders. He wants changes brought about. And the one who's named to be responsible for bringing these changes about, the guy's in my job. 
When I was in the parish a couple of months, I got up one Sunday and I said, well, guys and gals, uh, the good Lord wants some uh, changes brought about around here. Uh, maybe we might make a start with that and whatever. Well, the women's sadality came out with her. Now you said, tear my eyes out. The knights were out of the swords drawn. Who does this guy think he is around here? The phone was jumping off the pastor's desk. Who's this upstart you have here? Get the hell out of here. The pastor would sit at the table with me, the other side, munch, 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 silent treatment. I don't find that good for my digestion. I was removed, packed off, reassigned the word, yeah, reassigned. <laughs> Went to another parish, the precise, exact same situation. And now I've been with you-know-who in the precise, exact same situation. Now, James, I said, would you like to tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do? Do I say to the Almighty, I know what you want me to do. I know it with the certainty that is inbuilt with having what I call the faith. A faith that recognizes in the Catholic Church and the way it's set up, your will being addressed to me. What to do to do my job and how to do it. Do I tell my employer to get lost? I want peace and quiet in my life. I don't want conflict, upset, disturbance. I don't want myself branded as an upstart and a rebel. Or do I say to the pastor and to the people, this is what I stand for. Always will stand for. This is God's will as I understand it. And put up With the crucifixion. Whatever I do, I'm doing the wrong thing. And Jim, that's what I call an insoluble problem. If you have the answer, I'd very much like to hear it. My problem. Ah, oh, he said, you Roman Catholic, you're all the damn same. I understand that whole outfit at all. Okay, Jim. <laughs> Twenty of the best. <laughs> yeah, I took it. I did not lose my sponsor. He said, take it to your quiet time. Talk to him about it. Write letters to him about it. Cry about it. He's silent. He's silent. I can't. You're right about that. I don't understand. I don't understand how you get yourself into such such a mess. 
wonder, is it because I'm honest or because I'm dishonest? I never know. Well, that's the way it was for a long time, and I mean a number of years. And that's what I was sharing, meeting after meeting. Until one, one day a national holiday came around. I'm sure it must have been Labor Day. And I did what everybody in San Diego did on Labor Day. I went down to the beach in due course. Somebody reminded me this morning that I had told some other group here that I gave a retreat to, that I have a moonlighting job in San Diego. So I might as well let you guys know about it as well. I'm chief bikini inspector for the San Diego beaches. <laughs> At 75. <laughs> Someone's got to do it, huh? <laughs> so anyway, I was down there in my bathing trunks and my towel around my shoulder, stepping over the bodies and seeing everything was in order. <laughs> And I found a space eventually and threw my towel down and lay down there and sat down. There was a guy this side of me here who was on his back asleep. And right there at the water's edge there was this lovely little girl. Oh boy, a real little Californian beauty. Four year old, five year old, I don't know. Lovely bronze little body and golden ringlets and blue eyes. God, she'll break some man's heart someday, there's no doubt about it. There she was, she had her little bucket and spade and she was putting bits of shells and pebbles, I don't know what all, into the bucket. And she came prancing up to this guy here, sat up with her daddy, obviously. And she showed her daddy what was in the bucket. And he said, oh honey, that's lovely. Now you empty that out there now and go and get a full bucket. And don't come back now that the bucket is full. And off she went. And he lay back down and I was staring into space and I don't know what I was thinking about. I talked to myself a lot. And I remember I have two lobes to my brain and one talks back and forth to the other and that's what has me crazy, I know. <laughs> but I heard myself saying to myself, God, isn't that lovely? What a lovely, lovely thing. Wouldn't it be lovely to have a little girl of your own, just like that, who'd come prancing up to you with dizzlement in her eyes and all, laughing, and cuddle up to you, make a fuss of you? And poor me, I am nobody. Nobody loves me, nobody. And then the other one chimed in. And I heard myself saying, you know, you know, Wilson, if you did have a little girl of your own like that, and she came up to you like she, that one came up to her daddy there, I know exactly what you'd say to her. What you'd say to her would be something like, now listen, honey, you see that stuff in that bucket? That's a heap of junk. That is entirely useless to God and man. Now get it the hell out of my sight and let me go asleep. And then it happened. Right there. It happened. I don't know how to tell you. To 
totally mysterious. I saw something. Not with these two things, but I saw something and heard something. I saw myself and heard myself standing up in front of those people in those pews in church Sunday after Sunday. And there they all were, God's kids. All nationalities and types. Mexican, Irish, Polish, Italian. God alone knows. Guamanians, I don't know what. And there they all were, members of the worldwide church spread over all cultures and types and nationalities. Each of them with their own traditions, going way, way back. Half of them superstitious, half of them accretions that had come about in the course of the centuries. Nothing to do with what Jesus Christ had originally made known to us. And somehow or other existence side by side with what he did make known and pushing out some of what he, what he had made known. And there was I standing up in front of them and saying, Look, we've got to smarten up and clean up around here. All that stuff you've been clinging to for centuries, all that incense and Latin and holy water and rattling rosary beads and God alone knows what mumbo-jumbo. You've got to get it out. Get it out of it. It's the laughing stock of modern human society. We've got to modernize, update, streamline, I thought, what in God's name am I doing? I never forget it. God, it was an awful feeling. And a wonderful feeling, all at the same time. I saw, they called me Father. Because I'm supposed to represent God to them. And when... They come to say to God, God, we love you. In their own weird, wonderful, extraordinary ways. I'm telling them, that's all junk. Get the hell out of here. And let's go in for what is modern and audacious. I saw that little child. Come along to her daddy. Showing him what she had in her bucket. What I would call junk. Her way of saying to her daddy, Daddy, I love you. And he said, Go and get me more. And it so happened, it was one of those old planes, two wings to it going along the skyline over the ocean and there was a tail coming out of it with some kind of a commercial on it and I had some kind of an optical illusion and I thought I saw the words of Jesus in the gospel banner headline if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children how much more your heavenly father knows how to give good things to him Things like tolerance, acceptance of them where they're at, as they are. Gee, I was shattered. I 
set off, set off of that towel. And I could have danced the highland fling with the tears running down my face. My insoluble problem was solved. You see, you have to be like me to be as mad as me. <laughs> so maybe I won't make you see, but I suddenly saw what that big book means when it says the grouch and the brainstorm, the dubious luxury of normal men is not for us. Espousing great causes, follow the leader like the old jackass going at the windmills. <laughs> That's not for us. It's not. We're not made that way. And I know now what God has to say when he wants any changes brought about anywhere, in his church or anywhere else. The first thing he has to say is, Wilson, you keep out of this. <laughs> I forgot to read the small print that comes with every blueprint for reform and change and policies and all the rest. The small print which says distinctly before we dare ever try to change other people, we must change ourselves. We must become humble, on our knees before God's people, asking their pardon for our intolerance. Walking on them with hobnailed boots. And until we become as changed as the Master was, don't dare try to change them. My insoluble problem was solved. All our troubles of our own making. When am I going to get the message? Every time I want to rise up and rock and put the firm right about the wrong ways doing things, go in and see that jackass of a boss of mine and let him have it. Stop. God's sick, stop. But I can't live with all that nonsense. Oh, I want to tell you something. When the Mexicans come along to me now, and I want some holy water and this and that, oh, sure, honey, will a bucket of it be <laughs> You know what I have found out? This is the easiest job in the world. You know why? Because the customer is always right. <laughs> no problem. Really, no problem. <laughs> you have an insoluble problem. Every one of you. Yeah, I know. I want to tell you that down the road, if you're doing the things we're asked to do, go to your meetings, do business with your sponsor, read the big book regularly, That is a gifted, total and absolute guarantee. Those obsessions you talk about, that bug you and bug you and bug you, that you can't get rid of, they'll vanish. I remember coming out, where are we time? I remember coming out another morning, or another evening, night from the meeting, and Jim was waiting for me again. And this time he said to me, uh, 
You know, Wilson, I've been watching you now and sizing you up for a long time. So he has. And I think I know now what's really, really wrong with you. You're going through life terrified. You're full of, full of fear. And you wouldn't admit it to a soul, but you are. You're terrified. For all your talk about this loving God, you're scared to death. You are. It's been in your system. You drank it in with your mother's milk. You know the sands are running out. You're not a well man. Maybe the call will come any night, any day, and it's true. It's true. I've had the warnings. And you're scared. You're not comfortable about what's going to greet you when you go across the border. What's waiting for you? You'll imagine him standing there, his arms folded. Ah, Wilson. Hmm. Over 50 years in the priesthood. What have you to show? Entrusted with the powers of the priesthood for over 50 years. What have you to show? All your peers have done well for themselves, you know. Every one of them. Most all of them made it as professors, chancellor of the diocese, canon lawyers, pastors building churches, monsignors, bishops. One of them did very well for himself, didn't he? <laughs> and what have you to show? You wanted to become a saint. You messed up that one. You wanted to become a brilliant professor. You were kicked out of that. I gave you every chance. You went out to California. You were going to put them all right about everything out there. And what are you now? God, you're not even an associate. The lowest form of animal life in the diocese. They actually had to invent a new job to keep you out of mischief. <laughs> that doesn't require the power of the priesthood at all. 